You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, and unafraid witness. Thank you for listening. Amen, amen. Amen. Go ahead and grab a seat this morning. We're going to start with a word of prayer, but uh, not a maybe a typical word of prayer to the way I normally do. Um, I love that song, Great I Am, I think, because it reminds me that God is still great in all seasons of life. In the good seasons and the hard seasons, God never changes. And uh, today we realize that we're celebrating some significant times in our day and our age. Today, for, for first, it's uh, Remembrance Day yesterday, so we're remembering all those who went before us that lost their lives, that we might have the freedom to sing our hearts out here on a Sunday morning. And we don't want to take that for granted, right? And so we want to thank the Lord for the freedom and recognize that many men and women, some of us are related to them, gave up their lives for our freedoms. That's significant. So we don't want to pass that by. Also, this morning is International Day for the, a Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And uh, we recognize this morning, again, we can't let this be lost on us. We recognize this morning that as we worship in freedom and we worship in, in all of the joy that we have here, that, that not just hundreds, not just thousands, millions around the world, one, one estimate, 215 million people today are being persecuted for their faith. That's astounding. Canada's 33 million. 215 million people are being persecuted for their faith. And so we don't want to just glibly live in our little comfy Christian bubble here in North America and forget about them, right? We can't. As believers, we can't forget about them. Hebrews tells us that, right? Care about those who are suffering around you. So we want to pray for them this morning. And the Bible tells us to pray for them as we'd want to be prayed for ourselves if we were in persecution. Of that persecution, I read stats this this week. And uh, I get this 100,000, over 100,000 people die for their faith every year. 100,000. I'm not talking because they did something mean or bad that they should be punished for. I'm talking about because they love Jesus, they get put to death. We need to remember those who are suffering around us. So I want to pray for them today and, and, and not that this be lost upon us. The last thing I want to pray for today is if you've been anywhere near uh, internet or TV, you heard what happened in Texas last week, Sutherland Springs. Uh, yes? No? Okay, you guys looking at me. You had no. Just devastating, isn't it? absolutely devastating. And, and again, we can't, as believers, somehow become disconnected from the pain of other believers. I even think in, in our own lives, man, if that was our church, we lost 26 people at once, we'd, just be, we'd be on the floor. We'd be floored. This little church lost half their church. The pastor lost his daughter. And uh, because the Holy Spirit lives within us, we need to be concerned about these things and pray for our brothers and sisters. And so I know we're celebrating today. I get that. I'm not trying to be down or we're celebrating. But this, this reality of life. Sometimes we celebrate and it seems, and it seems in five seconds later we're mourning. And so in all this, though, we know that God is good and God is in control. And so let's just bring uh, all these things to the Lord. So you pray with me. Not a typical, yeah, yeah, rah, rah, pastoral prayer, but one that is so uh, necessary uh, in our lives. Let's pray together this morning. God, we do thank you today that we can come and we can worship you in a free country. We can lift high the name of Jesus Christ. We can sing our hearts out to a God who is the great I am. You are over everything, Lord. You're over the good in our lives. You're over the the hard times in our lives. And God, you are sovereign. It means you are in complete control. Nothing catches you off guard, O Lord. And nothing is beyond your control. Thank you that we worship a God who is is stable, a God who is never changing, one who's the same yesterday, today, and forever, one whom we can put our complete confidence in. Thank you that you're a real God, a live God, and a God who cares about us. God, thank you for allowing us this privilege this morning of just seeing all of these baptisms, seven between the two services, clear testimonies of you changing lives, clear testimonies that you are still at work in the world. You're still drawing people to yourself. You're you're still forgiving them from their sin and cleansing them from all unrighteousness, making our lives brand new. Thank you, God, for the front row seat to this. 
We recognize, oh, Father, this has nothing to do with us as individuals. It's not because we're a super spiritual church or a great place. It's because of our God. And you're allowing us the glory of just being a part, being a part of what you do. Thank you, Lord, for each life that was represented, that, that committed their lives to you today through baptism. And, Lord, I pray you'd be with them. Watch over them, Lord. Give them joy. Give them abundance. Protect them, Lord, as you know the enemy is going to want to get in there and kill and steal and destroy and rip all the good you're doing in their lives. So protect them, Lord. Help us surround them, Lord, not with just with high fives and praise, but also with prayers, O oh, Father. And lift up our brothers and sisters as we journey this life together. God, also we want to remember today those who have fallen, those who have fought and given the ultimate, their lives, that we might have freedom here in Canada. God, we don't take this for granted. We're so far removed from that, but yet, God, we don't want to forget. We don't want to take this for granted. Thank you, Lord, for the courage of the men and women who went before us, who are willing to fight for religious freedoms and the things that matter most. And God, I pray even in our hearts today that we wouldn't... um, lose sight of what's important as they didn't, Lord, that we'd have the same courage that they would have to stand for what is right and stand for what is true. God, would you help us to learn from their example as we honor them? And uh, Lord, we thank you for them. God, we also want to pray this morning for our brothers and sisters around the world who are struggling, who are in persecution. We have no idea what persecution means in our country. We get called a few names and people look at us funny. We think it's persecution. That's not persecution, oh Lord. Many around us right now in the world are, are losing their lives this very day just because they love Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior because they won't denounce the name of Christ. Oh God, would you be with our brothers and sisters? Would you help us truly hurt for them as we'd hurt for another family member if they were going through these things? Would you help us really have a mind and heart to pray for them, oh God? Those who are going through hard times right now, maybe they're getting beaten up, Lord. Happens every day. Maybe they're getting their kids stolen from them or their, or their jobs taken away. Maybe some are even losing their lives right now. Oh God, would you be so near them right now that they would know the holy presence of their God? Would you lift them up, Lord? Would you surround them? Would you give them courage and give them strength to not denounce your name? Oh, Lord, would you help them keep their eyes set on heaven, realizing there's nothing in this earth that really matters. It's eternity that they long for. Would you protect them and keep them till the very day you meet them face to face, oh God. God, I pray for those brothers and sisters who are mourning, maybe the death of a loved one because of, of their faith. Comfort them, oh Lord. Help them see hope and love. Help them realize you're a God who will never leave them or forsake them. And God, help us to surround them and support them, not just today, the International Day of Prayer, but every day, God, help us to even remember those in the world that aren't as fortunate as we are when it comes to living out their faith. And finally, God, I want to pray for our brothers and sisters in Sutherland Springs, Texas. What a horrible, atrocious tragedy, God, I can't even begin to imagine. Pray for my brother, pastor I've never met before, but God, give him strength as he mourns the loss of his daughter. Give him Courage, Lord, to comfort those in his church and community that need comforting. For those who've lost brothers and sisters and friends and aunts and uncles and moms and dads and sons and daughters. Oh, Father, I don't even know how to pray. So, Holy Spirit, would you intercede on their behalf? And God, would you give them all that they need today? May they know that they're loved by their God. May they know they're loved by brothers and sisters around the world. And God, we believe even our prayers make the difference. We're not just talking to the sky right now. We're praying and and upholding them in prayer. Oh, Father, would you be with them as they bury all these people? And God, may somehow your testimony shine strong in not just that little place, but in the state of Texas and all of America and North America. God, would people look at this and say, how can they be so strong in this? How can they have peace? How can they even have joy? How can they still praise Jesus? And the people know that it's because you are real and you are alive and you are with them. May you turn even this, Lord, into something good. We can't see it in our own humanness. We can't see good. But God, you know good. You have the whole picture, all of eternity planned. So would you even allow good to come out of this, Lord? I pray. 
Father, in all these things, we truly just want to honor you. God, as we open up your word now, we pray you'd speak to us. Teach us, Lord, what it means to truly love you. Teach us what your desire is for our lives, God, as we uh, abide in you. Father, would we not just allow this to be now another 40 minutes of, of just a lecture, but God, would you take the very words of the scriptures, would you apply them to every single heart here, and would we see and encounter Jesus Christ today in a fresh way, in a new way, in a way that changes even our lives in this very moment. What we long for, God, is to meet with you. That's what we came for. So would you make it so? I can't make it happen, Lord. Uh, Elders can't make it happen. Only you can make that happen. So do that, God, I pray today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining me in that. That's an important uh, part of what we do as a church. We believe in the power of prayer. How do you transition, right? You go from like super high to like praying for those. Let's just get into it. So John chapter 15 is where we're going to be today. If you can uh, open your Bibles, that'd be great. If you don't have a Bible, please put your hand up. Uh, One of our ushers will be more than uh, happy to get a copy of God's word into your hand. I'd love for you to follow along uh, with us. John chapter 15, we're going to just be looking at verses four and five, but I'm going to read 11 verses and try and unpack this for you uh, in the best way possible. If you're visiting with us, here's where we've been uh, as a church. We've been studying. We've been studying what it means to know and understand God's love. In seven weeks, of like, wow, God really loves me like that? We've been kind of floored and like, what am I supposed to do? How am I supposed to respond to this? So in the last couple weeks, we started a new series uh, talking about uh, how we love God, like what God wants from us and for us in response to his love. And so there's where we sit today, understanding how I can have a heart that's abandoned to God uh, for who he is and what he's done for me. And so we started last week with desiring God, a first step God wants for us. He doesn't want our just necessarily to do things. He wants us to desire him and to want more than anything to be with him. He wants us in a relationship with him. As we learned last week, that's the most satisfying, life-giving endeavor we can have in this life to pursue Jesus Christ. St. Augustine of Hippo agrees with that and says this, to fall in love with God is the greatest romance to seek him the greatest adventure, to find him the greatest human achievement. To fall in love with God is the greatest romance, to seek him the greatest adventure, to find him the greatest human achievement. So so then as followers of Jesus Christ, this is what our life becomes. Our life becomes one ambition, striving to, above everything else, know and love Jesus. More than being successful, more than gaining notoriety, more than gathering a bunch of stuff for us to indulge ourselves in, more than even living out my wildest experience, the most soul-satisfying, life-giving endeavor we give our lives to is pursuing, knowing, and loving Jesus. Amen? And so that's where we pick up this week, and here's, here's what it looks like this week to pursue and to love Jesus. John chapter 15. Let me read this for you and let me help you understand what it means. How can I love Jesus? How can I love him with as much earnestness as he loves me? Here's where it is. John chapter 15, starting at verse 1. The little subtitle says, I am the true vine. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Verse 4, abide in me then, and I abide in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. 
For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me, however, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is God's word for every heart in here today. This is one of the most meaningful scriptures in the whole Bible to me. Back when I was in college, at the end of my Bible college uh, career, I guess you call it, um, the dean of the student took three or four of us aside at the end of the last year I was there, and he, he decided to mentor us or disciple us. And this is one of the passages that he brought us to in Henry Blackaby's uh, study, Experiencing God. He brought us to this, and he, he really drove this home in our hearts and our lives. And, and you know, when you're in college, you're like, man, I'm going to go take the world for God, right? I'm going to do this, and I'm going to go. And he's like, no, 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 that's not it. You can't do anything apart from Jesus. Your number one goal in leaving this college is if you run out with that mentality, you're going to trip on the door on the way out. You're going to fall flat on the face, and we're going to have to pick you up and help you out. Your number one goal in pursuing God is this. It's not to do things for God. It's to abide in God and to love God. That's where everything starts in your life. I think I'd known that before, but in that, in that year of, of him driving that home, it, it kind of made me realize that these realities that kind of set the course of my life on God's trajectory. It, it helped me realize that, man, being a Christian and loving Jesus is so much more than a set of presuppositions that I buy into that makes me somehow think I have a monopoly on truth. Being a Christian is more than just agreeing with the right set of theology. Being a Christian is more than having the, than living by a, the right set of rules that God made for us. You know, if I, if I don't do this, God's going to bless me. If I, if I do this, God will show me favor. And, and somehow if I can do all the right things, then I'm going to have a comfy life and God's going to allow me to live out my wildest dreams. So much more than that. Being a Christian is so much more than the hope of someday dying and going to heaven. So much more than just saying, okay, I say a prayer and agree with Jesus, and then one day when I die, then I'm going to have eternal blessings. So much more than that. Here's what being a Christian really is, according to this passage. Being a Christian and following Christ is really this. It's a living and active, vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ that supersedes everything on this earth, and yet we get to experience it while we still live on this earth. And it comes from pursuing Jesus, and it also comes from abiding in Jesus. I'm giving you a one-point sermon today. Don't, don't worry, it's not going to be shorter than normal. Just one point. And here's what it is. If you get anything from this sermon, get this. To love Jesus is to abide in him. So I want you to get today. I'm going to unpack this in a bunch of different ways. But to love Jesus, to truly love Jesus. How do I love Jesus? To truly love Jesus is to abide in him. John 15 is a significant passage, partly because the son of God speaking. This is, this is Jesus Christ speaking to us. When it starts with, I am the true vine, you're like, who's the true vine? Who's speaking? Some of you have red letters in your Bibles and some of you don't. Well, this is Jesus Christ speaking. Anytime the Son of God speaks, I'm proposing it's probably a good thing to stop and to listen. To stop and to pay attention. And to realize that this, is a, this isn't just anyone speaking, this is Jesus speaking. 
And so Jesus is speaking. He's giving us a metaphor here. Metaphor being a, a, um, a statement to help us understand the significance of who he is and what he means to our lives. So he's giving us a metaphor. I want you to understand fully who I am. I want you to understand fully how much I mean to you. So here's an illustration to help you understand this. I am a vine and you are the branches. This is the last of seven I am statements that Jesus gave in the book of John. Seven ways to help us understand fully who he is. He says these things in the book of John. I am the bread of life. What bread is to your physical body, Jesus is to our souls. Can you live without bread? Absolutely not. Can you live without Jesus? Not a chance. Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Jesus says this, I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and a good shepherd looks after his sheep, so Jesus cares for and guards his people. Verse Number five, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life, he says. As the sixth I am statement, the seventh I am statement is right here. He says this, I am the true vine. And he's giving this last I am statement at one of the most crucial points in human history. Not too long after this, Jesus is going to be betrayed by Judas, right? He's going to be in the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's going to be praying, God, take this cup from me, but not your will, but my will be done. And then he's going to be arrested. Then he's going to be hammered to the cross, crown of thorns on his head. Disciples are going to scatter. And he's reminding them, hey, in all these things that are coming up, don't lose sight of this one thing. Don't lose sight of the fact that you can't stray far from me. Some commentators think it's a little analogy as well to show the difference between Judas, who we know had this kind of facade of a relationship with Jesus, right? He seemed to be doing all the right things and he seemed to be all in. And yet what did he do at the end? He totally betrayed him for 30 pieces of silver. And he's comparing that as a branch that's not all in to the disciples and saying, hey, don't be like Judas. Actually be faithful to me to the very end. Remain in me. Stay in me. Don't give up on your relationship with me. Endure till the end. So the one word that you've probably picked up on in this, these 11 verses that you can maybe go through this afternoon and just circle every time it says it is the word abide. It's abide. What's Jesus' main message in saying, I am the true vine? It's simply this. It's abide. Four times it says this in verses 1 to 5. Six times it says this in verses 6 to 11. Why am I counting words in the Bible? That's kind of lame. It's not lame. God uses the same word over and over, the same reason our parents did when we were a kid. Why? Because he wanted us to get it. It's not that God wasn't smart enough to come up with a new word to use the word abide. He used the same words. He wanted us to get it, to drill it into our hearts. What does Jesus want the most in our lives? How do we show Jesus we love him? We do this by abiding in him. Here's what it means to abide. It's an active verb. It means to continue with or stay close to or live in, or never stray. One version says to remain in me. In other words, it's an active human response to the reality of God. We know we're distracted easily, right? We know we get, we get chasing our own things, and, and Jesus is saying, no, if you want to love me and know my life, you remain in me. And Jesus is calling us to really in this passage a close, a connected, and continual relationship with himself. Jesus calling us to a close and connected and continual relationship with himself. This is what Jesus wants from our lives. 
It's not like we just seek God. I think sometimes we get this idea we seek God and we find him. And we have a little party. I found him. I found him. High five. And we go on our way, kind of like with geocaching. You know, geocaching, go and find the prize. And oh, it's so fantastic. Take a picture and then keep on going. That's not what Jesus wants from our lives. He wants us to treasure him, to grab a hold of him, to never let go and to stay in a constant communion with him. Knowing that this is the only way that we will ever live or survive spiritually in this life is when we're vitally connected to Jesus. Really what he's calling us to in John chapter 15 is the same thing that we call our kids to as we care for our kids or any caregiver, how they look out for our kids. And and if you ever looked after kids or have your own kids, you know that whenever you go out in public, what do you tell your kids? Like, hey, it's so important as we go into this crowd that you stay close to me. It's so important that you hold on to my hand. It's so important that you never leave earshot from my voice. It's important that you never lose sight of me. Why? Because we want to limit their fun? Because we don't want them to experience life? No, why do we do that? Because we love them. We know the only way they'll survive in this life is to be closely connected with their parents the one that loves them the most. Jesus is telling us in this, through this metaphor, that really our whole lives revolve around him. Not just knowing about him, but actively abiding in him. And here's the the illustration. Like a branch cannot live apart from the vine, so our souls cannot live apart from being connected to Jesus. Like a branch cannot live apart from the vine, so our souls cannot live apart from being connected to Jesus. Here's the gospel reality that we see in this passage. Here's the truth of every single, for every single one of us. To the moment we were saved, the moment we realized that, man, we are sinners. We're disconnected to God from God because of our sin. The moment we're saved, here's, and we say, oh God, forgive me of my sin. And, and I turn to Jesus now as my life source. Here's what God does. Supernaturally, he picks up that dead branch, dead branch, unattached to the vine, and he grafts us into the true vine. Pretty cool image, isn't it? He picks us up, dead and insignificant. He grafts us into the true vine. No life there. He grafts us and he says, now you are attached to the true vine. You'll find your life. You'll find your sustenance. You'll also find the care of the Father. Look what it says in verse 1. I am the true vine. He says, my Father is the vine dresser. You'll find a place where not only you have life and all of a sudden the fruit of knowing God, but you'll find a vine dresser that nurtures and prunes and cares for your life. And we'll make sure that there is fruit, spiritual fruit in your life. And so then he calls us to not just know that reality. Yes, God does it, but there's a human responsibility. And so if we truly love God, we're going to remain or abide in that place of where we are getting all of our sustenance for our souls from God. This is a significant shift even in the way that Jesus described how his followers were to engage with him. Andrew Murray, up until this, Andrew Murray in Abiding Christ tells us this. Uh, up until this point, he, or he being Jesus, uh, the word he chiefly used when speaking of his relationship to his disciples, to himself, was this. He'd say, follow me. When about to leave for heaven, however, he gave them a new word in which their more intimate and spiritual union with himself in glory should be expressed. And the chosen word was now not follow me, but get it, abide in me. 
Murray says this, what intimacy of fellowship. To what wondrous oneness of life and interest he invited them when he said these three words, abide in me. Stop and see the significance of this. I think sometimes we, we, we know these theological concepts. We can talk about them. We can study them. But the significance of what we're talking about here, Jesus, when we accepted Jesus, we got grafted into the vine. And the, the vine now is our everything. Without the vine, we are nothing. Look, look what it says. You, you're detached from the vine. What are you good for? A branch detached from the vine is what? Laying on the ground, ready to be picked up in the spring or the fall. What's that good for? Firewood, it says here in this text, right? To be gathered only to be burned. It means that we're not with God. It means we're not attached to the, the Father. That means we're not attached to Christ and the Father. And so, and so the significance is, is that, that now that we've been given this vital union, we should, with all that we have, want to dive into that and grab a hold of that and soak in as much of the love of the Father and the life of the Father as humanly possible by actively remaining attached or abiding in the vine. How does this happen? We study this word abide. Well, how does this happen? How do I abide in Jesus? How do I abide in Jesus? Here's what it says in verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. See that? Because of the word. Already you're only attached to the vine because you've, you've heard the word of God. You've let the word of God dwell in you richly. And so, and so the... the The reality is is that not only do you have the word to get you attached to the vine, but then you live constantly in the word that you might remain attached to the vine. In fact, John 8.31 says this, If you continue in my word, then you're truly my disciples. If, there's an if, which means it could be the other way around, right? If you continue in my word, then you are truly my disciples. Want to know if you're truly saved or not? If you're actively hungering and thirsting for the word of God. And if you're saved, you're going to be abiding and flourishing in your faith through the word of God. It's not just a command here to abide in me. It's also a call to abide in me. uh, Come on, abide in me. Come on, abide in me. Don't just pay attention to me, but live in constant communion with me. The essence of the message in verse 4 abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what can you do? Nothing. It's pretty significant, don't you think? It's not just a, like glibly like, oh, I need to be communed with Christ through the word of God. And if I'm not, I can still accomplish spiritual things and I can still, you can do what? Nothing. This is the all of Christian life encompassed in really a couple verses here. This one truth is our Christian life. It's abiding in Christ. To love Jesus means we abide in Christ. To live in Jesus means that we abide in Christ. And so if we choose not to abide in Christ, I believe God loves us too much to leave us there too long. He's going he's to pick us up and graft us, you know what I mean? Keep us grafted in there and do all the pruning he needs. 
But if we choose to not abide in Christ, we're basically saying, I don't really love Jesus. I don't really find my life in Jesus. Apart from Jesus, I can do nothing. So vital our communion with Jesus. I was reminded again over the last couple of years how instinctively a little baby just loves their mother because apart from their mother, they got nothing. I'd forgotten all about that realm of things and I was getting to the place where our kids were old enough. I was like, hey, get yourself dressed. Here we go. Now we got Nick in our house and it brought me back to this whole reality. And I was one of those guys that wrestled the fact that how come you love your mother more than your father? Every kid that we've had. Sometimes it's handy. You're like, hey, wants mom right now. There you go. Dirty diaper, crying, whatever. There's mom. But like, why is it that kids just instinctively love their moms more than their dads? I'd be vying for attention. What about dad? You know, mama. What about dada? Nope, mama. You know what it is? It's because there's, God's created it that way and, and everything comes from mom. Like dads, we got a little part, but everything comes from mom. And kids instinctively know that. So when they wake up in the morning, they're longing for their mother because that's where food is coming from. That's where their true nurturing and care is coming from. That's where their everything is coming from. And so there's instinctive, like, man, I know where everything comes from, so I long for my mom that little babies have. In the same way, we as believers should have that longing and that love for Jesus, knowing that everything of our souls comes from one place. It comes from Jesus Christ. He nourishes us. He sustains us. He cares for us. He gives us what our little hearts want every single time that we need. And so the reality of just like, just like a baby longs for a mom and wants to be connected tightly to his mom, so a, a believer wants to be connected deeply with uh, Jesus Christ through spiritual disciplines, a close, connected, and continuous, intimate fellowship with Jesus that draws life and nourishment. The call is here, it's abide. The call is here, it's abide. Well, how do I abide? How do I abide in Jesus? That's what I ask myself. Like, I, I want to abide. I'm sure most people here want to abide. If you're alive in Jesus, Jesus, there's something within you that's going like, yeah, I want that. Yeah, I want. If you're, if you're not in Jesus, and you're probably like, oh boy, get this guy done. I just want to go home. It's probably a good indication that you might not be connected to the vine. But if you're here and you're like, oh my goodness, like I want more. Like, like how does this happen? Here's, here's how I think it, not how I think it happens. The, the Bible says the word of God that makes that happen. And so here's where all abiding starts. It starts with our spiritual disciplines. Here's the practical part of this. It starts with our spiritual disciplines. I, I kind of like the word discipline because it's sort of like regimented, you know, it kind of seems like military. Is going to be disciplined? But yet it really is a discipline, isn't it? To stay attached to the vine. To have a close, constant communion with God through the word of God, through prayer, and through the, 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 the avenues that God has ordained for us to be connected with him. Abiding starts with being attached to the vine by spending time with God through his word. Let me put it the opposite way. You can't be abiding in Christ without ever spending time devoted to the Lord through his word. It makes sense of any vibrant relationship, doesn't it? Any person that's close to you that you have a real relationship with, where does that come from? It comes from spending time with them. You want to have a decent relationships at work with your coworkers and your boss? There has to be some sort of level of interaction where you're connecting together. 
Why is your best friend your best friend? Because somehow along the way you've gotten this, this, this kindred spirit where you, you spend time together and you hang out together and you know each other. What does it take for every marriage to thrive? Not just survive, but thrive. It takes concentrated, dedicated effort to commune together on a regular basis. Without that common connection, you're just living two people in one house. And so our relationship with God isn't much different than that. To really want to, to really know God and have the fullness of God, you need to, we need to abide, abide is the word, abide in Christ through the word of God. It's where it all starts. To be alive in Jesus is to engage with Jesus. It's interesting to me to note that God's given us his word. He's told us in his word, even right here, that that's the avenue to know him. It's the avenue to have eternal life, to find Jesus. It's, it's, a, it's our everything. And, and yet, get this, get this stat. In North America, one study says that only 20% of North American church-going, church-going Christians, 20% spend every day, a little time every day, in the word of God. Dedicated to striving to know God and abide in the vine. Remember, if you're attached to the vine, you got life. If you're not attached to the vine, you don't have any life. And yet only 20% read passages like this and somehow seem to miss it. On the flip side of that, 20%, uh, the, the bottom 20%, top 20% do it. The bottom, there's 20% of people in church that have never, that never read their Bibles ever. And we wonder why our spiritual life is so dead and everyone else is so alive. We wonder why there's no power to, to fight sin. Well, where does our life come from? It comes from abiding in the vine. We wonder why God's not doing stuff in us and he's doing it in everyone else. And we look for it. We want it. But, but the simple spiritual discipline, that's why it's a discipline of simply just communing with God through the word and prayer, is negligent in our lives. One study says that we're growing up in our culture, North American culture, as illiterate believers. I don't think illiterate's the worst thing. I think lifeless is even worse than illiterate. So where does abiding start? It starts in the word of God. So I ask myself, if, that's, if, this, if this is true of our church, if our church is common to the stats, which I'm sure we're somewhere in there, why would there only be 20% that be pursuing God every day and 20% that never pursue God? So I, I said to myself as I studied this, maybe it's because they don't know how to pursue God through his word. So let me explain to you how you can pursue being attached to the vine and abide with you. Let me explain to you how you do that. It's not that difficult. You don't have to be a theologian. You don't have to be a scholar. You don't have to be Mr. Spiritual or Mrs. Spiritual. Here's what it takes to abide in the vine through the word of God. I'm praying that this will even speak to you this week as you leave this place. You're like, man, I want more than anything else this week to simply abide in the vine. I want my life to be flowing with the life of Jesus. Here's where it starts. It starts with looking at the Bible as uh, God's gift to you that he has given you that you might have life. Here's a devotional reading. There's a devotional a method of studying the Bible that I'm going to share with you right now. Five steps. It's called the divine reading. Uh, in, in Latin, it's Lectio Divina. It's been around for 1,700 years, and, and it's this, this Bible study method that takes you from studying the Bible as a history textbook, as an intellectual exercise, to more experiencing and encountering God, to, to, more, to more seeing God in his word and, and seeing God come alive in your life through his word. And so here's where it starts. It starts with uh, silence. 
I'll give you the English. I'll give you the Latin in brackets. There. It starts with silence. Five steps to practice divine reading that you'll be changed and your life will flow with the life of Jesus through abiding in him. It starts with silence. I don't know about you every week, but my weeks are packed. Anyone else have packed weeks? You go to read your Bible and everything is swirling around in your head of all the things you did yesterday, the things you're supposed to do tomorrow, and, and it's so many distractions. And here's where you start with the word of God. If you want to experience God, here's where you start. Start sitting down and just practicing like, I'm going to push all that stuff aside. A little prayer, God, help me push aside all the distractions. A little, sing a little song, a, your favorite worship song or a hymn, and just sit quietly before God and say, God, here's what I want right now more than anything. I just want to read a book right now. I don't want to read a book. I don't want to know church history. I want you to be real in my life. Help me, God, focus on you. Start with silence. Start with silence and focus your heart on the Lord. Second thing is this. It's pick up the Bible and read it. I know it shouldn't have to be said, but the Bible is not a coffee table ornament for your, your house. The, coffee, the Bible is not your good luck charm beside your nightstand that no evil will come upon you. That's not how the Bible works. Pick up your Bible and just start reading. And I encourage you, if you don't know where to start reading, start reading the book of John. John's a fantastic book. If you've never read it before, just pick John. It tells you all about Jesus and his miracles and his life and what he means to you and, and start reading systematically. Don't just, I heard on the radio this verse, pick up this verse. Like, pick a, pick a book, start and read. Every word in there is in proper order, in sequence that God needs you to know. And, and read it with the heart of like, God, I want you to teach me today. I'm going to read and as you read the phrases that pop out of the page that you circle them. The words that seem to do something in your soul, like put a square around it, like mark it up, write it down. If nothing sticks, read it again. Why did God give you his word? So he could communicate with you. If, if you're not hearing anything from God, it's not because God doesn't want to communicate from, to you. It might be because your heart's full of sin that you need to confess. It might mean that you're too distracted to hear today, but read it again, read it again, and, and, and even ask God, God, what, what are you trying to teach me today through your word? I come to God sort of like this. I say, God, like, here's my day. Here's my day today. Here's where my mind's at. Here's where my heart's at. Like, here's everything. Now, God, I'm done talking. Why don't you talk to me now through your word? So as I'm reading, I'm like, so God, what are you trying to show me today? I've told you everything on my heart, your heart. What are you trying to tell me from your heart? You trying to show me who you are today? That, that'd be a cool picture, right? You trying to show me who I am today? You trying to give me uh, something you want me to do with my life today? A desire for my, for my life today? Are you trying to point me in a moral direction? Read it. And then meditate on it. Meditate on what God is showing you, all the things you circle. Like, don't just read it and then be done like you got your little verse for the day. Read it and think about it. Give God time to like, press it into your heart. I think so often we talk, we commune with God the way husbands and wives commune a lot in a busy world. Hey, how are you today? Good, good. Yep, good. Everything good? Good, good. See you, bye. High five. Who's going where? What car am I taking? What car are you taking? End of the week, you're sitting those husbands and wives going, did we even talk this week? Why well, we did a lot of talking? But not the significant kind. And so allow God, meditate on the word of God. Allow God to capture your imagination and even your emotions and allow God to infiltrate your mind and, and let God open your heart to greater worship, to a greater walk, to greater work for him. Meditate. Here's a fourth one to pray. 
communication is a two-way street. You don't just go to God like he's your boss and giving you orders, right? Okay, God, what do you want me to do today? Well, here's your checklist. No, it's communication, so take time to pray again and respond to God. God, I want to thank you this morning, maybe, for, for what you've taught me about yourself. God, I want to thank you for the way that you convicted my heart and showed me my sin. I didn't even know it was there. I could confess it and move on in the way of God. Maybe pray in the sense of like, well, you're seeing something in Scripture. And if you're anything like me, sometimes you're seeing it and you're like, oh my goodness, I can't do this. I might want to do this, but I can't do this. Here's a good prayer for you. God, help me live out Scripture today. I know I'm supposed to forgive. I don't got it in me today. Help me. Or maybe it's a show me prayer. God, I'm seeing this stuff, but I don't know what it means. Show me, God. Show me. Let's dialogue. Let's have a true friendship. Let's be attached to each other. And the final one here is to, to uh, contemplate. To contemplate. All day long to contemplate the reality of what God is teaching you so you can allow the word of God to change you and allow Jesus' life to grow in you. Contemplate through a journal. Take a little piece of paper beside you and just write some things down of what God is showing you and God is teaching you that you can look back upon and say, oh yeah, that was a good day. I didn't think I needed it for that day. Five days later, remember what God taught me on Monday? Oh my goodness, he set me up for Friday. I didn't even realize it. Write it down. Even if you have nothing at the end of your quiet time, thank the Lord for this, that he saved you, he loves you, and he's given you his word that you might find him in it and through it. Bottom line is this. This uh, abide in me and I and you. Here's the bottom line. To love Jesus means that you stay vitally connected to him through his word. Jesus wants you to be close and connected and continually connected with him. So this isn't an option for us as believers. Some people think the word of God's an option for us. It's not an option. It's as much not an option as your meals for the rest of the day. This is our spiritual sustenance. This is where we find our spiritual life. And so whatever it takes, our role in this whole abide thing is to remain, to abide. So figure it out in your own life. I don't want to scold you, but if you're not living in the reality of abiding in Christ through his word and through prayer, you're actually not experiencing any of the Christian life that God has intended for you. And you're missing out on all the things that God wants for your life, so figure it out. Not like maybe next week, like figure it out. Like tomorrow morning, figure it out. Is it going to be in the morning? Is it going to be in the evening? Is it going to be at lunchtime? Where is it going to be? Is it going to be in your, in your quiet room in the basement? Is it going to be outside in the backyard in the shed? Wherever you got to go to be quiet. Find a time, find a place, set it, schedule it, and anticipate meeting with God. We get so busy. We get so busy. I wonder sometimes if we get so busy, if we get so busy that we find ourselves lifeless, bearing no fruit, wondering what happened when nothing happened. God hasn't moved. God hasn't moved. We have. Don't let yourself get so busy. You miss out on this vital time with God. Remember Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10? Remember them? Remember them? Three of you, remember them? What was Martha doing? She was running around, oh, Jesus, I'm going to serve you, I'm going to serve you, I'm going to serve you. What was Mary doing? She was sitting at the feet of Jesus. Martha was like, come on, Jesus, who loves you more? Look what I'm doing. And Jesus actually like, actually, you know what? Mary's chosen the greater portion today. 
She's actually living out what I want from you. I don't want you just to run around and serve me. I want to engage in a relationship with you. This is the God of the universe. Like I tell my kids all the time, I didn't just have you to cut the back lawn. I want to hang out with you. I want to spend time with you. I want to have a relationship that's ongoing. This is what Jesus wants from us. So don't get so busy that you miss your spiritual meal every day. It's not, it's not even good enough to get it from me or other preachers. That's just eating regurgitated food. That's living vicariously through somebody else. Why would you not want to eat your own food and have your own experience with God? That's the best. That's so soul-satisfying. Don't get so busy you miss this stuff. Don't get so distracted with the things of this world that you miss the most important thing, the vital relationship with God. Remember, detached from the vine means what? Dead. Attached. Life. What can be more important than that? In your spiritual lives. Don't be so lazy. Don't be so lazy. You miss out on all that God has for you. You know what Satan wants more than anything else? He wants you to set up your lazy chair and turn the TV on and not stop watching until three hours in the morning. You know what he wants? He wants you to hit snooze 40,000 times. So by the time you wake up, you've got two minutes to get out of the house and forget about him. You know what else God, Satan wants? He wants you to get home at night and be so consumed with everything else. That you, after being so consumed, he, you're just going to lay on the couch for the whole evening. I think part of the reason that many Christians aren't attached to the vine, honestly, is because we don't tell people it's a necessity. We tell them that it's an option. It's not an option. It's a necessity. Don't be so ignorant. Say this gently. Don't be so ignorant to think that you can do this by yourself. Why do we miss the word of God? Because we're ignorant. I got this. I don't need God. Proud. I think I can sustain myself. I don't want God. I want my own life to do my own thing. We need the life of Jesus in us. Here's what Romans eleven eighteen says. Don't be arrogant. Sometimes God's word just says it straight. It says, don't be arrogant. It's not you that supports the root, but the root that supports you. In our ignorance, I think we, I got it. God, can you help me? No, it's not that way at all. It's I need the life of Jesus. And it tells us in James chapter four, verse eight, that the closer you draw to Jesus, the more he draws to you. Draw near to God and I will draw near to you, he says. In other words, this is, there's a reality of, I have my part to play in this whole thing. And the closer I draw, the closer God gets. To truly love Jesus means that we will abide in the vine. When we abide in him, get, get this, he abides in us. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you. You can't produce the life of Christ in you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine. Don't forget who I am in relation to who you are. You are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from this in your life, it's not all there is to it. It's where it starts. It's an act of everyday trusting in God and obedience and, and prayer. But apart from this, that spiritual car is going nowhere. But you start abiding, you know what happens? Your life opens up to God. 
in this passage, I read all 11 verses. I'm going to finish with this because it's so powerful. All 11 verses. Because in this, these 11 verses, it shows you all the blessings and all the benefits of, of actually abiding in Jesus. All the blessings and benefits of actually not just saying this is a good idea, Pastor, but actually living it out. You want them? Nine of them. Here they are. I'm going to go quick. Nine realities of a life attached to Jesus. We see it in verses 4 and 5 a couple times. Fruit, fruit, fruit. Evidence of the life of God in me. My character, my attitude, my behavior becoming like Jesus. Here's the fruit of abiding in Jesus. You actually grow in your love for God. Here's some fruit. Matthew 22, you grow in your love for God. Here's some fruit of abiding. Your praise and worship actually becomes alive. Hebrews chapter 13. Actually, here's another fruit of, of abiding in Christ. You grow in repentance which is a good thing. You see your sin, you repent of it and move past it. Here's another fruit of abiding. You start loving others with the love of Christ. Not just your family and your friends, but also your foes. That's the evidence of God in you. You abide in Christ. He gives you a supernatural love for others. God grows his character in you from Galatians 5. This is where your love and your joy and your peace and your patience and your kindness and your goodness and your faithfulness and your gentleness and your self-control come from. I don't have any of that stuff. Probably because you're not abiding with Christ. You abide with Christ. Those things come naturally to you. Here's where your actions and your godly deeds start taking place and feeling natural instead of unnatural as you abide with Christ. Here's how you start influencing others. You abide with Christ. Guess what? God starts influencing others through your life and you don't even seem to understand why or how. Because this life is growing so deep in you that others are picking up on it. Fruit, that's just, that's just one section. That's just one out of the eight things. Look, it helps you accomplish things for God. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So with me, you can do anything, right? God gives me abundant life. If anyone does not abide me, he's thrown, in, thrown away like a branch and withers. The branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burns. So the opposite of death is life. He gives you life. Get this one, if you abide in me and my words in you, ask whatever you wish and it'll be done for you. Do you know answered prayer actually comes from abiding with Jesus? Because we're praying the things he wants us to pray. And we're praying the things that he puts in our hearts to pray. Look at this, by this my father is glorified. You actually glorify God through abiding with Jesus. You're actually proving to be his disciples by your abiding with Jesus. You're experiencing his love. It says, the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. You're experiencing the love of God as you abide in him. And it produces here at the end a fullness of joy. He speaks all these things to us that we might have joy. That his joy, perfect joy, might be in us. And that our joy may be, what's the last word there? Our joy may be full. Brothers and sisters, God set this whole thing up in a way that everything we long for comes from abiding with him. We don't have to chase after anything else. It's abiding with him. And in him, we have everything we want and everything that we need. I am the vine. You are the branches. Abide in me and I and you. You'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. It's a pretty good motivation, I think, for you to love Jesus by giving him the best way you know how, your time and your energy and your effort to simply love and abide in him, in his word and in prayer, every single day until you meet him. I am praying that our church wouldn't be one of the 20 percenters. 
Well, 20% of our church does it. I'm praying that we could say, by God's grace, that our church is 100%. 100%, not perfect. 100%, can't miss it. I just want to, I realize the significance of it. I just want to spend my life abiding in Jesus. Whatever it takes, I'm going to do it because that's where my life is found and that's how I show Jesus that I love him. Let me pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you, God, for the reality that you set up for us that our life is only truly found when we abide in you. God, I pray for those that are here this morning that have no desire in their hearts at all to abide in God, that this is just words coming from a guy that that don't mean anything to their souls. Oh, God, would you help them see this morning that their soul is dead that they are a branch that's disconnected from the vine in a spiritual way, in every way, apart from Jesus. Would you help them see, O oh God, that they're sinners who need a Savior to rescue them and to give them spiritual life? Would you help them realize, God, even the deadness of their own hearts this morning, that they might turn to Jesus and find true life? And God, I pray for those in this place that are believers, and for whatever reason they've chosen or circumstances have caused them to not abide in you, God, I pray you'd bring them back. God, I pray you'd give them a hunger for your word, a longing for your presence. And God, I pray you'd bring them back to a place where they're encountering and enjoying you in every single way, the way you designed us to be. God, I pray for those who are willfully apart from you because of sin. God, would you convict them of their sin? Believers, but have been choosing to live in the deadness of their soul. Would you convict them, God, by your word this morning? Would you bring him back to a vital, life-giving relationship with Jesus Christ that pursues righteousness? God, for those in this place that are here and they see and they believe and they're striving to do this every day, would you encourage them, Lord? Would you encourage them on the days where it seems dead and empty their time with you? Would you encourage them on the days that they miss, that not to get caught up in guilt and shame, but just to come back the next day and, and start over again where they left off? Would you strengthen them, Lord? Would you give them a greater resolve to, to pursue Jesus through the word of God in prayer? Would you help them, Lord, see the fruit of this in their lives? Every day they get together with you, God, I pray you'd open up your word in a greater way. Would you encourage them and strengthen them and grow them? The greatest thing in all of our lives be the connection we have with Jesus Christ because of a God's love that was so deep that he sent his son to die for our sins. Not just so that we could live one day with him in heaven forever, but that we could enjoy intimacy of fellowship right here and now. And do this, Lord, in our lives, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.